But this morning, I'd like you to turn in the Word of God to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, and just keep your Bibles open to this passage, and uh, I'm starting just a a short little um, series on how to make your life a masterpiece. How many of you would say that you could use some improvement? How many of you say that person next to you really needs improvement? But... uh, How many of you have ever wanted to do something over in your life, a do-over? Any of you ever been that? Have any of you ever been to a point where you said, I'd like to just do my whole life over again? Well, one of God's greatest gifts is the gift of the second chance. The amazing truth is that God is willing to just do over and over and over and over again in our lives things to help us get it right. And and without exception, every one of us needs a new start from time to time. In fact, the Apostle Paul needed a new start at one time in his life. You, You see, when we look at him from this side of history, we often see only the good that he did. He wrote a large part of the New Testament. He started churches around the world. He literally helped shape human history. Today he's called St. Paul, but there was a time in his life he was anything but a saint. In those days, his name was Saul, and he was in fact quite a rascal, as he would say himself. By his own admission, he was an enemy of God, and he was a sworn enemy of the early church. He persecuted Christians, did everything that he possibly could to stamp out the Christian faith. And then suddenly, his life radically changed. He was walking on the road to Damascus one day when a bright light from heaven overtook him. And a voice spoke to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, well, who are you? And the voice responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. And from that day on, Paul was a radically new man. Oh, he wasn't perfect yet. He still dealt with sin, but his life took on new direction. And the world hasn't ever been the same since. So today, I want to challenge you to make a resolution that can literally start a revolution in your life. And the resolution basically is to adopt the same attitude that the Apostle Paul had. And here's what it is. Let me state it for you just conceptually. I am not an important person, but I have an important job to do. Say that with me. I am not an important person, but I have an important job to do. Now, some of you didn't sound all that convinced, so I'm going to help you out. Turn to someone right now and say, you are not an important person, but you have an important job to do. Do that right now. Yeah, see, some of you were much more excited about doing that, weren't you? But, you know, if any phrase could sum up Paul's life and his philosophy of life, this is it. There are three things that I want to take out of this concept today that, if you apply them to your life, can make an amazing difference. And the first thing is, live with a sense of purpose. We need to learn to live with a sense of purpose. 
Do you know anyone that has such a well-defined purpose or sense of purpose that it would be impossible for them to even imagine doing anything other than what they're doing with their life right now? Well, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, is that kind of a person. You know, most people know that he launched a social media site from his dorm room at Harvard University when he was only 22 years of age. And he built it into a global force. Today, one out of four people on planet Earth log into Facebook every month. It's amazing. But here's an interesting thing, an early story about Zuckerberg. When Facebook was only two years old, they received an offer from Yahoo to purchase Facebook for $1 billion. That's billion, friends. Starts with a B. One, nine zeros after it. How many of you would like to see that in your checkbook? <laughs> now, of course, everybody thought it's a no-brainer. Go for it. Take the money. Move on. But Zuckerberg didn't take the money, and he didn't sell Facebook. The other other board members said, Mark, do it. Think of all you can do with the money. Zuckerberg said, I would only start another social networking site, and I like the one I already have. You know, on this side of history, it's easy to look back and say, man, the guy was smart. He really had it together. But at that point, Facebook's success was far from inevitable. They had not yet turned a profit. And yet Zuckerberg, who was only 22 years old at the time, had the presence of mind to turn down the easy money. Why? So that he could pursue what he considered to be his mission in life. Can you imagine what your life would be like if there were only one thing in the world that mattered more to you than a million, a billion dollars? Can you imagine how that might affect the way that you schedule your time and what you do throughout the day? Can you imagine how that might affect your job or the way you did your schoolwork? Can you imagine how that might affect the way you treat others? In the very same way, Paul gave his life to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, Paul referred to himself as the bondservant or slave of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he called himself the prisoner of the Lord. And here, in verse 7, he says, I became a servant of the gospel. I became a servant of the gospel. Paul was consumed with a mission. And I want you to understand that it was a radical mission. His purpose in life wasn't just to be a, a religious person and preach and go to church on Sundays and preach on Sundays. His purpose was much more innovative, much more dangerous, much more revolutionary than that. His purpose was to save souls, to see lives changed uh, eternally, and ultimately bring about worldwide racial equality through the ministry of the church. Look at verse 6. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs, notice this, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Paul was Jewish. And like most Jewish men of his time, he was raised to believe that there were only two types of people in the world. They're the Jews, and they're God's chosen people, and then they're the Gentiles, everyone else. That's it. 
And in the early days of the church, many Jewish Christians would have been absolutely content to allow Christianity to remain exclusively Jewish. But Paul couldn't do that. After his face-to-face confrontation with Jesus Christ, he recognized that he had a purpose in life, and that purpose was to bring the Gentiles into the church. This made Paul unpopular in a lot of religious circles, but it didn't stop him from pursuing his mission. So I ask today, what about you? What is your mission in life? You see, I don't care whether you're a teenager here or one of us who is a lot more mature. God has given every one of us a purpose in life. Now, what you need to understand is this. Your purpose wasn't created to serve you. You were created to serve your purpose. And the greatest decision that you can make as a believer is I will be a slave to the purpose of God for my life. I will be a slave to the purpose of God for my life. And we need to get past the idea that we deserve or that uh, we even need an easy life. Instead, our attitude needs to be what I shared. I'm not an important person, but I have an important job to do. You know, there may be times when my circumstances are a little uncomfortable, but my life isn't about being comfortable, and it's certainly not about making a lot of money. My life is about fulfilling the purpose that God has for me. But in order to do this, it requires that we live with a sense of humility, that we live with a sense of humility. You know, Paul says some really surprising stuff about himself. Undoubtedly, he was one of the greatest men and intellects the world has ever seen, and yet he speaks of himself in very humble terms, sometimes kind of rash terms. In First Timothy, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. I mean, think about that. Of all the sinners in the world, I'm the worst. In Romans 7, he referred to himself as a wretched man. And he admits that he has trouble doing what he ought to do, and he has trouble not doing what he shouldn't do. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. Peter, James, John, all the rest, I deserve to be at the bottom of the list. And in the text we're looking at today, in verse 6, look at what he said. I am less than the least. I'm not even the least. I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, the fact is, theologically speaking, Paul knew that that statement was not totally accurate. He knew that everyone is equal in God's eyes. In fact, equality was right at the heart of Paul's mission and his message. And he knew that he himself was, by those qualifications, no worse than anyone else. And yet he chose to view himself from this perspective. Why in the world would he do that? Because it was necessary for him to keep his ego in check. It was necessary for him to keep his ego in check. He would not allow himself to become too important in his own eyes. He wasn't out there reading his press releases. Paul was a lot like us. You see, our tendency is to act as if the alphabet begins with the letter I. Our tendency is to act as if we're the center of the universe. So Paul challenges us to see ourselves from a different perspective. 
I'm not an important person, but I have an important job to do. A few years ago, a religious magazine by the name of Wittenberg Door put out an issue on the subject of racism. They wanted to give their readers an idea of what it was like to be the object of discrimination. So instead of printing regular copies of the magazine, they printed photocopies, and they sent those photocopies to everyone, every subscriber, along with a letter. And the letter said that they had inadvertently printed a, a few real copies of that issue, so the limited quantity of the real copies were sent to the top priority subscriber. Well, obviously, since everyone got the photocopies, then everyone felt that they were not top priority subscribers. Now, of course, all the readers got the photocopies, but not all the readers got the message. In fact, the magazine's office was flooded with complaints. One pastor wrote a scathing letter, and he said, I have never been treated with such disrespect. I demand a written apology. You know, sometimes we just don't live with a sense of humility. In fact, I think every church needs to have a little sign above the door as people come in that says, check your ego at the door. I think every board agenda right at the top probably needs to have a statement written, check your ego at the door before this meeting takes place. Again and again, we see how professional sports franchises, the ego of one athlete can just be detrimental to the success of the whole team. Pat Riley, former coach of the L.A. Lakers, talks about this in his book, The Winner Within. He calls it the disease of me. Everyone say disease of me with it. Disease of me. You see, there was a year back in the 80s when the Lakers team was so stacked with talent that everyone thought they were a shoe in that year to win the championship. But guess what? It didn't happen because the players couldn't contain their jealousy about one another. Why does Magic Johnson get all of the attention? Why don't I get the ball more? Why do the guys on the team treat someone else better than they do me? And on and on it went. And Riley says that the team's focus shifted from winning to whining. And they didn't make it past the first round of the playoffs. He summed it up by saying, the disease of me leads to the defeat of us. The disease of me leads to the defeat of us. And you know, sad to say, probably every one of us has seen this happen with someone at work. And it was all about me, one person there. But even sadder, I've seen this happen in the church. I've seen it happen with staff. You know what I call that? I call that staff infection. (laughs) And I've seen it happen with church members. They're perpetually disgruntled. Nothing is ever quite good enough for them, and they're always complaining about what's going on rather than working to make things right. And sad to say, I've seen it with pastors. No team can thrive, no business can thrive, no ministry can thrive, no family can thrive with the environment of the disease of me. Now, before you give in to the temptation and point your finger and say, Pastor Larry, I know exactly who you're talking about. I want you to think about yourself. What message 
do you send to those you work with and those you minister with? You see, we need to adopt Paul's message. The world doesn't revolve around me. I am the least of the apostles. I want you to say this thing with me one more time. I'm not an important person, but I have an important job to do. Say it. I am not an important person, but I have an important job to do. And you see, if you adopt that attitude, then you won't be the one that's dragging down the team around you, whether it's home, at work, at school, at church, wherever. But here's the third thing I want you to consider. Live with a sense of perspective. Live with a sense of perspective. Many years ago, Kenneth Blanchard wrote a little book entitled The One-Minute Manager. It was a huge success. In fact, it went on the New York Times bestseller list month after month after month. He sold over 13 million copies. And overnight, Blanchard became a celebrity in the business world. In fact, he was everyone's favorite business guru for a while. And years later, when he... uh, was talking about this, and he looked back at what happened. He said, I I realized at the time that I have two choices. One choice is take all the credit for success and assume that he's a better writer and a more insightful thinker than anyone else. The other choice was to take the path of wonderment. Take the path of wonderment. He asked himself, why has this happened to me? And what can I learn from it? And you see, by learning to to look at his life from kind of the perspective of an outside observer, he was much better able to handle the pitfalls and the challenges that go along with success. And you know, Paul lived with this sense of wonder in his life, amazingly so. Look at verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. You see, Paul repeatedly just uses one word to, to talk about God's work in his life. And that little word is grace. You know, there are all kinds of definitions for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, and you go on and on. Here's one thing. I... I I I don't think you can give an adequate definition of God's grace. But you can describe God's grace like this. God's grace is too good to be true. Think about that. God's grace is too good to be true. It's just unbelievable. And so... There are a couple of temptations to come to our lives, and one of them is thinking too much of ourselves, thinking that God is lucky to have me on his team. But the other side of the coin is thinking too little of ourselves, thinking that we don't deserve any blessings and we're of no use in the kingdom of God. You know, in many ways, life seems to be unfair. Well, seems, I don't think... How many of you have discovered life is just unfair? You know, that's just the way it is. Some people are born rich. Some people are born poor. Some people are are, are born with incredible ability and talent, and some of us have very little, and it goes on and on. Some people seem to catch all the breaks, and others don't at all. Therefore, we need to maintain a sense of perspective about ourselves. 
Why did God put me in this place at this time and in this situation? And then ask yourself this question. What can I learn from it? And what does he want me to do about it? You see, the bottom line is simply this. We can expect some big wins and some big losses through our life. That's part of being human. Dean Smith, the legendary basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, once said, If you make every game a life and death situation, you'll be dead a lot. (laughs) Our challenge is to accept the events in our lives with a sense of perspective and then seek to learn what God is teaching us in each and every situation. Friends, I know a few of you, but I don't know the majority of you. But I do know this about every one of you. God has put you here for a purpose. I know this. God has put this church here for a purpose. How many of you believe that? And I believe that God wants to do us some amazing things in and through this church and in and through each and every one of you. And he can, but it requires taking yourself off the throne and putting God where he belongs. It requires focusing your attention on doing the work that he has called you to do. You see, your life can become a masterpiece if You adopt the attitude that Paul had, and it's simply this. I'm not an important person, but I do have an important job to do. And by the grace of God, I'll do it. So I want to challenge each and every one of you here today to live with a sense of purpose. I'm just a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Live with a sense of humility. Remember that the disease of me leads to the defeat of us, and then live with a sense of perspective. Look at each and every situation that you're in, and look at it through the eyes and lens of Jesus Christ. Lord, why do you have me here right now? But even more importantly, what do you want to do in and through my life? And you know, when you do that, not just as individuals, But when you do it from a sense of unity and working together, God can do some amazing, amazing things. Do you believe that today? Say amen. Amen. Do you believe that today? Say amen. Amen. We're starting to believe it. Do you believe it today? Say amen. 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 Okay, there we go. That's as loud as I'll ever get, so you can relax with that. I want you to just bow your heads with me for prayer. Lord, today we thank you, first of all, just for you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And it truly is just too good to be true. We thank you that you're the God of the second chance. And we all need it from time to time. And right now there may be some of us who really need it. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to open our eyes that we might see your purpose. And for every one of us, it's to serve you and to do your will. And Lord, we do pray that you'd help us to, to do it with humility. Help us to get off the throne and allow you to be Lord of our lives. And then Lord, 
Help us to see each and every situation from your perspective and see it as an opportunity that you've given us to help us to grow, but to help us make a difference in the world in which we live. And we're going to give you praise, honor, and glory for everything you do. In the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.